help in the sermon. So be prepared for me to call on uh, two of you, uh, and that'll become more clear as the time comes. Uh, speaking of which, graduates, uh, well, the gift you've been given is, uh, I, I can't tell you, it is priceless. Uh, many, many have died at the cost of their own lives, horrific deaths uh, from the time of the Roman Colosseum uh, to being burned at the stake, uh, to being tortured in front of their wife and children so that you might have that book in your hand in the English language. Uh, and please know, in many countries, it is still outlawed. It is illegal to even have a copy of it. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you with all the, the, the gravitas, all the weight that I can, uh, if you will be in that book, if, rather, if you will get that book into you, your life will be wholly different. It'll be radically different. The world, eternity, will be impacted uh, if that book gets into you. Uh, so treasure it, read it, uh, study it, apply it, live it, and you will find great joy. Jesus said, these things I have written to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And that's what every graduate I know wants, right? Amen? Full, fullness of joy. So uh, please, please take that. That is priceless uh, to you. And also, I hope you all enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, three-day weekend for many of you, uh, also at the cost of the lives of many. Uh, and so we praise God, we reflect, we remember uh, God's goodness in giving us men and women who serve, God's goodness in giving us a government, imperfect as it may be, full of imperfections, it'll never be perfect, no government on earth until the Lord returns will be perfect. But I tell you what, when you live in a place where there is no government, you will be very thankful for your own. Uh, so, praise God. I hope you enjoy your gift from God. We're in John 15 today. The, the title of the sermon is The True Vine and the Fruitful Branch. The True Vine and the Fruitful Branch. I have four points for you this morning. Four points for you this morning. I'll unfold those as we get going. Um, but the context is this is Jesus' last sermon. It's a type of farewell speech, so to speak. Some of you graduates, you're going to be going, farewell. So uh, this is actually very applicable to you. In this case, in Jesus' context, he's the one who's leaving. But it, this is a type of, of goodbye, so to speak. Yes, we know the end of the story. He's going to resurrect after how many days? Three days, right? And so you're like, wait a minute, how is it a farewell speech if I'm only going to see you again, right? Uh, because after he would resurrect, it would be different. He would be there in power and glory, and his time with them would be, relatively speaking, very short. And they would never be with him again as they have been with him the past three years until he returns the second time. So this is a type of farewell speech. And uh, Dane, Kalavai, you're going to, did I hear you say you're going into the Navy? Okay, awesome. Right on. You're going on a mission trip too then. Very long one. Uh, and this is a type of farewell speech to, to you, to, to be in Christ, to let Christ be in you. He's, he's preparing a place for you. He has promised them their, their troubled souls. Remember, he's told them a few things. He's leaving them. They're going to betray him. And what was the third one? Judas. One of you is going to lift your heel against me, and Peter's going to betray me, deny me three times. 
And now he's giving them all these promises, the the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead them, to guide them, to advocate for them. He's impressed the need in chapters 13 to 14 for obedience, for prayer, constant prayer. And now he's going to expound further for them and assure them that the trail before them is a difficult one, but not without its joy. It's difficult, but full of joy. And so let's read and, or rather, let's pray and get into it. Father in heaven, we thank you for your words to us, to, uh, to many of us who are uh, troubled in different ways. Graduation season, uh, transitions can present many uh, venues of trouble. And so I do ask that you would comfort your people through and by your word uh, so that Christ may be all and in all this morning. May we leave here with your words ringing in, your, in our ears, abide in me, abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so may your people abide this morning, now, and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the true vine, Jesus, is the true vine so far. So this is the, uh, we've seen that Jesus is the true temple. He is the greater temple. We have seen in John's gospel that he is the fulfillment of many Jewish feasts. I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness. I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me will never hunger. We've seen that he is the greater prophet, the one that Moses said in Deuteronomy, another will arise from amongst you, from among your own selves. You will listen to him. He is the the greater prophet, the final and greater lawgiver, greater than Moses. We've seen that Jesus is all of these things and more. And now in our section before us, he is going to identify himself. He's going to take another Old Testament portrait, another Old Testament figure, and apply it to himself. He's going to identify himself as the true Israel, the faithful fruit-bearing son. The faithful fruit-bearing son. Many of us, I would imagine, are very familiar with this passage of Scripture, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the final of the seven I am statements before his final portion right before his crucifixion. If you remember, this harkens back to Exodus chapter 3, doesn't it? Remember the burning bush? Moses says to God, who will I say sent me to Pharaoh? He says, tell him I am sent you. And in the Greek, you don't see this in the English, but in the Greek, it is an emphatic I am. It is uh, I, I am. It's the only way that they could say it in that language with emphasis. And uh, he repeats it. It's almost like saying, I am, I am. He's trying to, I am the true vine. It's not enough for him to just say, I am the vine, I am the, again, just emphasizing, trying to call the reader's attention to the importance of what Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. We've seen several of these I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, and now here, 
I am the true vine. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Think about that here. What does that mean? I'm the true vine. Remember, he's calling back to Old Testament imagery. Israel, the people of God, was often called a vine. They were likened to a vine. But actually, everywhere they're referred to, they're referred to this many times as a vine. Everywhere that Israel is referred to as a vine, they're referred to as a fruitless vine or a vine that yields bad fruit. Bad fruit. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 5. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. Remember, he's calling Israel his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded Wild grapes, uncultivated grapes, grapes that are no good for eating. So this is a, a chast- he's going to go on to chastise them. He's also going to judge them in this context for worshiping false gods. The, the wild grapes are their idolatry. They, their Israel is meant to be the, the holy people of God, to worship Yahweh alone, to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet over and over again, the Old Testament, they're worshiping the Baals. They're worshiping the false gods of Babylon, of Persia, of the Amorites, of the Philistines, all of these Dagon. They're just constantly doing these things. And so God is going to bring them to judgment for it. He says in Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Flowers. Those will come out later. He takes this imagery... He chastises them for their faithlessness. If you go on to read Jeremiah 2, maybe on your own devotions for further study and follow-up, he doesn't say nice things about them. He calls them donkeys. Uh, That's the nicer of the terms he uses to describe them. With young children in here, I won't say the other term. But Jesus takes this imagery of Israel as the faithless vine, and now he's going to lay claim to it and rather say something very startling. I am the true vine. I am the true vine, the faithful vine, the true son of God, the obedient one who always obeys the will of his father and yields fruit for God. Who yields fruit for God. And everybody in him are the true seeds of Abraham by faith. By faith, everybody in him are the true seed of Abraham You don't get much more of a Christ-centered reading and interpretation of the Old Testament than this. Christ taking terms, things, realities applied to Israel and now saying, I'm the true one. I'm the true one. Now, what's he doing in context? What's he doing in context? Because this is important. Before we can apply it to us in 2017, which is what you all kind of want to happen, we have to rightly understand it as it related to them. And then we can accurately apply it to us, right? So what is he saying in context? 
What he's saying is he's beckoning the nation of Israel, Jews by birth and by God's choosing, that if they wish to have a proper, right relationship to God, to Yahweh, they must go through Jesus or not at all. If you wish to have a proper relationship, a right standing before the Father, you must go through Jesus or not at all. There's no other way. That's just a repeating of what he said. I am the way, John 14, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by or through me. He's calling Israel to faith in him again. Jews scattered as they would hear this. I am the true vine. There's, there is no life. There's no uh, growth. There's no vitality apart from me now. He's calling them to faith in Christ and by virtue to us as well. To us as well. Now, we're going to get to how it applies to us as we work through this, but we're already laying the foundation, faith in Christ. If I want a right relationship with God, if Jews had to go through Jesus, how much more Gentiles, you, sitting in the pew? So Jesus is the true vine. That's point number one. Number two. We see the fruitless branch in verses 2 and 6. Every branch in me, so I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And we'll get to that in a second. And then you go, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a fun point isn't it? You guys can't wait. This is a, the fruitless branches. This is not a fun point. This is a sober warning. But what's it getting at? What's he saying in all of this? The overwhelming mark of a believer, of a true follower of Christ. You want to know if you're in good standing with God through Jesus? You say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe I must go through Jesus. If you want to know if you're in a right standing with God by faith in Jesus, you will bear fruit. That is the overwhelming evidence of the New Testament. Over and over, the reality that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it will, not might, not may, not sometimes, but it will change you such that you bear fruit for God. Now, some take this to mean that once you're saved, if you fail to bear fruit, he's going to lop you off and throw you into the fire. You lose your salvation. Some take it that direction. Let me just give a few things about that. What do we do with Scripture like this. First, we let Scripture interpret Scripture, the rule of faith. Scripture is always its best interpreter. That's one thing we do. First, second, we feel the reality of truth and tension. We don't like tension. We like things to be smooth, don't we? Ironed, flattened out. This puzzle locks together just like this. But the Scriptures are full of truths that are held in tension, like God's sovereignty and your free agency, your will, that you are somehow a free moral agent to make real decisions, yet God is sovereign over all things, even your free decisions. Now, these are truths held in tension, and we like to cut out one to the neglect of the other. And so it is here. Well, wait, I'm eternally secure, but yet here's a warning. Either I have to drop eternal security or I have to drop the warning. I would encourage you, hold truths in a healthy tension while you're letting Scripture interpret Scripture. God's Word will not contradict itself. 
And then third, as a rule, it's unwise to build doctrine from a metaphor or a parable. So Jesus is using a metaphor of a vine. All illustrations, even the ones I use, like the one of last week, the bulletproof vest, right? I had, had that on, and, and you guys thought that was very helpful to describe the paraclete. That is an illustration that has one or two primary emphasis, but if you push it to its extent, like we all need to wear bulletproof vests and shoot each other. No. If you push it to its fullest extent, that, that misses a point of illustration. So Jesus has one or two primary points here. And we ought not to read into every little detail. And the main point in this teaching is that true believers will bear fruit for God. The use of the vine metaphor necessitates the dead branches somehow connected to the vine versus saying, well, here's the vine. Oh, the dead wood's going to be thrown in the fire. It necessitates the reality that somehow the vine is, the branches are attached to the vine. And the meaning that we would piece together with other scriptures, is if you fail to yield fruit for God, if over the duration of your life you do not persevere in faith and holiness and love and in Christ-likeness, then you will prove that you are never truly, vitally connected to the vine in the first place. That's a summary that I'm not going to get into the full detailed exegesis of that summary at this time. But having said all that, I don't want to blunt the warning here. I don't want to blunt the warning either. The Father is the vine dresser, and He expects fruit from His vine. He expects to gather fruit from His vine. There is a natural correlation. So let me ask you what is the fruit of your life? Where is the fruit in your life? Are you like so many in our day who are, who are trying to be connected to God? Like, yeah, I can, go to, I can have God, but I don't, I don't really need Jesus. Are you trying to connect to him apart from Jesus? Or maybe you do come here, but the fruit you bear is questionable at best. Maybe not clear. Maybe there's no fruit. Maybe there's a lot of leaves in your life and little actual fruit. You might be asking, but what, what is fruit? Well, how do I know if I'm bearing fruit? We're going to get there. But suffice it to say for now, the Lord expects good, cultivated fruit, not the wild grapes of idolatry. Now, we can't see people's hearts, right? So everybody says, I can't, you can't see somebody's heart, and this is true. But we can observe with our eyes and hear with our ears the fruit of our lives. Jesus actually said, Matthew chapter 7, you will know a tree by its fruit. A good tree will not bear bad fruit. A bad tree won't bear good fruit. And the Father expects there to be fruit in the lives of his people. Now, for further ideas of, of what type of fruit we need and, and how much and where, right, how do we do that? We'll go on to the next point, number three the faithful father. Number three, the faithful father. So that was the fruitless branch, number two, and number three is the faithful father. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the one who's taking care of the vine. He's faithful to tend the vine. Branches that don't bear fruit are thrown away and burned. Well, what about the ones that do bear fruit? 
What about the ones that do bear fruit? So let's ask and see uh, how that happens. Before we talk about the ones that do bear fruit, let's see how that happens. What does he say? Let's go into verse 3 or the end of verse 2 again. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me. It's a famous passage. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he goes on in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, and that's where he goes and gives the warning. So he invites us first. How, how do we bear fruit? He says, abide in me. Abide in me. Now, what does it mean to abide? That becomes a question, right? You could say if you did a, a Greek search or a word search or looked on the Internet somewhere, you, you would find this word can be translated abide. It can be remain, to dwell, to be in something. Though he said in chapter 14, as the Father is in me, so I will be in you. It's the same word, abiding. Let me ask you this. Whenever you are known for being somewhere, often, frequently, you kind of gain characteristic descriptions that people use as stereotypical names for you, don't, don't they? Let me give you an example. Somebody who's in books often, who's regularly reading all the time, they're called what? Bookworms, right? You gain a characteristic description because they're always in books, and these people can have weird, quirky tendencies, like they like the smell of books, old ones, the older the better. That might be me, right? Or, or whatever it is, they highlight their books, they destroy them. Some people highlight, you know, tear up their books, it's so sad. Or maybe somebody who shops all the time. Oh, what do you call somebody who just likes to go shopping? A shopaholic. <laughs> a shopaholic. Ooh, a woman. Bad. <laughs> uh, a shopaholic, right? How many shopaholics do we have in here? Ooh, a few, a few. All right, so you just like to go shopping. Or somebody who's at the gym all the time. What do you call those? The gym rat, right? Gym rat or, or the big guys who are <laughs> meatheads, right? Whatever it is. Uh, a mechanic, perhaps. Somebody who's regularly into cars. What do you call them? Grease monkey, right? Grease monkey or gearhead or, or whatever it is. Now, what do you call somebody who regularly walks with Christ? A Christian. A Christian. And it makes a difference, right? Everybody on the outside should be able to tell without you saying it. There's a characteristic description of your life, habits, patterns of behavior, thoughts, attitudes, speech that would lead somebody else on the outside of your life to be able to tell this person is different. They like this thing. It's fruit. Let me ask if people just looked at your life from the outside. Would they know what you abide in? And would that thing be Christ? For many, it would be football, meatheads, coffee lovers, shopaholics, whatever it is. But when people look at you, do they know your primary allegiance is to Christ? Some application, but that's what it means to abide. You're, you're there so much that characteristic things begin to happen in your life, in your pattern, in your behavior, in your speech. Now, last week, I mentioned when somebody lives with you, 
They leave things around your house, right? Remember? I can walk into your house and I can tell likely uh, maybe how many people you have in your family and their relative ages just by looking at the things in your house. But something else happens. This works the other way around in you, doesn't it? When you live somewhere, when you live with someone, it makes a difference in you too, doesn't it? Individually. It makes a difference in you as well. And when you abide in Christ, it changes everything. See, when Jesus promised them, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he wasn't just going to prepare a place for them. He was also leaving the Spirit to prepare them for the place. To prepare them for the place. I think so many people have this idea, this conception of heaven, like we all want to go there. Right? Like, I want to go to heaven. But have you ever even thought what heaven is? Have you ever considered what it would be like? Why would I want to go to heaven? How do I know when I get there I would even like the things they do there? It's worth pondering if you've never thought about. But suffice it to say this, if you're not doing and enjoying the things on earth that they'll do in heaven, you will not enjoy heaven either. If you don't enjoy worshiping God, if you don't enjoy glorifying Him, if you don't enjoy fellowship with His people, how do you know you'll like that for all of eternity? See, for you, all eternity would be misery. So it's not just enough that he's preparing a place for you. He must prepare you for the place as well. And he does this by your abiding. Now, to accomplish this, to be prepared for the place, we must abide in him. You could say, he says, whoever abides in me will keep my commandments. There is no abiding in him without obeying him. Now, We'll flush that out in a second. But what I did, I did an experiment. I was given some flowers, okay? I was given some flowers this week. This, this is uh, Thursday. Thank you, Claire Engel. Claire, say hello. James is not here today, her husband. Uh, she gave us some flowers for my wife. And um, if you guys don't know the Engels, get to know them. Reach out to them. Say hello. They have three wonderful children. Actually, get to know any visitor that you're now that I'm talking about. If you see somebody you don't know before you leave, it would just be be in the interest of Christ. It would be the love of Christ to show hospitality to strangers. Go introduce yourself to them. But anyway, that's another thing. Okay. Um, Claire gave us some flowers. This is uh, I got this on Thursday. Uh, I don't know when. When did you cut this, Claire? Okay, so Thursday. So this was cut immediately from its, um, I don't know what you call flowers attached to, plant. Um, Thursday. I was going vine, but yeah, it's not fine. Thursday. So what I did is I, I have three of these, three of these. Now, this one, I didn't have in anything. I exposed all of them to the weather, same conditions, a little test. This one uh, was not in anything. I just left it out, out of the water. So cruel. Save the plants. Left it out in the water, exposed it to the elements, to the sun. You see what happened to it? So beautiful. Still smells, actually, but not for long. So I need a graduate now. Uh, Dane. Come, come. Because some of you are so, you know, seasoned or marinated in life that your eyesight, maybe you don't even know what this is, right? So can you just walk that around, just a loop, one lap, yeah, hold it up high, so yeah, smile, yes, yes, Dane, so it's your reality TV show here, so everybody can see, does that flower look alive, or what does it look like? Thing's dead, it's dying, now, imagine if Dane goes, and he goes and plunges it in the toilet on the way out, this final lap, is that going to bring it to life? <laughs> 
It's no, no, it's, it's going to die. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You're doing such a good job, Dane. Thank you. Thank you. Did everybody get to see the dead flower? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Good job, Dane. This one is headed for great and marvelous things, I can tell. Thank you. All right. Now, so I took the second one, and with the second one, I did something here. I did something a little bit different. Uh, I had a jar of water, and this one, I took it, and I just dipped it in and pulled it out once a day since Thursday. So Thursday, dipped it in, pulled it out. Friday, dipped it in the water, pulled it out of the water. Saturday, dipped it in the water, pulled it out of the water. Sunday, before we came, dipped it in the water, pulled it out of the water. I need another graduate. Another graduate. Who will my graduate be? I got Whitney. I got Pomai. Oh my, what's up? King K, please, please come do the honorable walk with the flower. Yes, give her a hand. Good job, Pomai. Oh 18 years in school, and you can now help me with my illustration. Thank you, thank you. If you can just do a lap, let everybody see how uh, lively that flower is uh, as she does the walk around. Um, uh, hey, you have to hold it up, and you have to wave. You have to wave like a Miss America wave. Now that one, I dipped it in once a day. And you'll see, it's not faring much better than this one, is it? Now what, what would that, why, why would I dip it in once a day and pull it out? Why would I do this? What do you think that would be as opposed to just leaving it out? It got water, got exposed to the water. Thank you, Pomai, very good job. Thank you. Did everybody get to see it? Do, do I need Pomai to do another lap? She's like, please no, please no. It's cold. Now, now what would be the, see, they're, they're both kind of not faring so hot, about the same. Is this not what we do regularly when we're saying I'm abiding in Christ, and maybe you're a believer and you might not have this pattern, but you wake up and you, you know you have to be in the Word, and so you open your Bible and you read something, maybe a chapter, maybe a verse, and you read it, and then you, you close it, and you walk away, and you go to brush your teeth, and, and on your way to the car, you're on your way to work. Like, what did I even read today? Hmm. I don't know. Oh, well. Or you pray, and, and you have a hard time, and you, you, you work at it for like 45 seconds. That feels like an hour. Lord, yo, help me, amen. And then you start to wonder, and you feel, your spiritual life starts to feel like this. And maybe you come to church. You sit here. You hear the sermon. You laugh. You sleep. You leave, and you move on with your life. You don't talk about what you heard. You don't talk about the truths of God. You don't attempt to apply them. You don't do anything. And you do this week in and week out, and you start to kind of feel like this. And you say, I wonder what's wrong with me. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I, I, I'm going to church. And you start to, what's wrong with me? It must be the pastor. <laughs> it has to be the pastor. Maybe it's Uncle Wes comments. They just offend me. Look at me. This is why. If he didn't say those things, then I would be, a, a, I would be alive. 
We start to look for excuses, and the reality is, is we have done no different than those who don't, are not in the Word at all. We have not abided. We have not remained. We have not dwelled in. Now, take these. Where's my third plant? I have a third plant over here. This one I left in the water. Four days. Four days. Cut. Look at that. Left it in the water. Left it in the elements. Same sun. Same everything. Same spot. Another graduate, perhaps? Whitney. Yes. That's your turn. Come on. Come on. I won't give you the whole jar of water because I don't trust you to walk around with it. Please, please do a lap of honor. Hold it up high for all to see. You see the stark difference? It's, it's black and white almost, is it not? One is vital, lively, beautiful, smelling, bright, all of these things. And here it comes around this side, so if you guys want to see it, there you go. Oh, walking backwards, That's, that was valedictorian status. Are you valedictorian? Walking backwards with the flower. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you, thank you. Good job. Very good. Give her a hand, Whitney Blondo. Every day, abiding, dwelling, remaining in, dipped in once a day, out, forgotten. See, because the reality is it's, it's about being with Christ. It's fellowship or communion with God. Checklist religion, vital relationship with Christ. Getting in the Word. We had a, a, a session on meditation, meditating on the Word of God a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. Man, when you see these things, these are training you how to be like this, not like this. This is training you, well, okay, I don't want to be like this, but how do I be like this? That's meditation on the Word of God. That's, that's letting it just go over your mind, your soul, and transform you. Staying there. Abiding. Now, he says, abide in me. Abide in me. Remain in him. I want to be like this. So what do I do to bear fruit? What do I do to bear fruit? What is abiding? Is it watching other people's fruit? Is it this flower? Looking at this flower? Dude, why are you so bright? I'm going to try and be like you. I'm just going to hang out with you and see if that will make me bright. Or is it looking at them saying, why is there so bright and why am I? Why are they yielding so much fruit? You ever wondered if an apple tree says to an orange tree, dude, what's wrong with my fruit? Right? It's different fruit. You're not an apple tree. You're not going to produce round, shiny things. Yours will be all dimpled and, and different and still good. So what do I do to bear fruit? Is it look at others' fruit? No. No. Is it maybe I'll make myself do good things, help other plants, clean them. Is it make myself do good things? Then that will make me fruitful and abiding. No, 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 no. What does he say? Abide in me. Abide in me. And see, we mistake all of these things for abiding, don't we? 
I'm looking at them. Maybe I'm looking at them on Facebook, and their family looks so much happier than my family. They look so much more godly than my family. Look at their Bible. It's so much more highlighted than my Bible. Man, what, uh, what am I doing? It's just, how do I do this? We do all these things to mistake for abiding, comparing, contrasting. Jesus says, don't look at them. Look at me. Abide in me, and you will bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abide in Christ. We're going to talk practically what that looks like in a few minutes. But what happens once you do begin to bear fruit? Ooh, we don't like this part. What happens when we do begin to bear fruit? It's not up there earlier. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, well, we heard about that, but every branch that does bear fruit, he does something. What does he do? What? He prunes. Do you know what it is to prune? Oh, I don't have my knife up here today. I don't know. Where's, uh, what does he do to prune it? I'm going to do it. Buy flower. Ooh, look, this is hard to break. Wow. He does, but that's actually what he does, isn't it? It looks just as violent or more than that. He prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. So that it will bear better fruit. Not just one season, but season after season after season after season. It's not uncommon for many of you to feel like you're growing and then all of a sudden life hits hard. Have you ever considered that maybe you're being pruned? If you're abiding, if you're following Christ, maybe you're being pruned, not punished. But yet it feels that way. It feels unloving. It feels like you're being punished for doing good. Even it hurts sometimes to where you're overwhelmed. And it's not just cutting back bad things, is it? It's not just cutting away bad things, although that's part of it. When you're cutting a vine, you're cutting away life, what feels like life. It's cutting away good things even so that you can have the best things. Now, every single one of you, if I asked you before the sermon began, do you want to bear fruit, you would all say, yes, of course, duh. Do you want to be pruned? Not so much. Can I just bear fruit and not get pruned? But he actually says it almost like a promise, doesn't he? See the exact words, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So know this, if you're abiding, you're going to be pruned. Maybe you feel like you're being pruned. Some of that pruning will be for sin. Maybe you need to turn and repent from it and abide in him. Some of that pruning won't be for sin. Some of it will be for faithfulness so that you can learn to depend on Christ greater and greater and see greater manifestations, greater degrees of his glory and grow deeper in your love for him. Everybody wants fruit. Few, including myself, want pruning. But it will happen. It will happen. So please know, if you abide in him, Once you bear fruit, you will be pruned. Now let's ask, we're in a good place now to ask finally, practically, and starting to wrap it up, what does it look like practically to abide? 
That's all I want to abide. Okay, what does that look like? Well, in context, it looks like remaining in the words of Jesus or getting those words into you. That's actually what he says verbatim. Let's see. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my word abides in my words, if they abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So contextually, like I said, there is no abiding without obeying Christ. You can't abide, say I'm abiding, and then knowingly be obeying or disobeying him. There is no abiding without obeying him and his commands. So get the word of God in you, graduates. Get the word of God in you. Parents of graduates, get the word of God in you. So abiding looks like having the Word of God in you, which means you have to be in the Word of God. You have to know His commandments. You have to to know what He's done on your behalf and walk in them. Verse 27 will also say it's bearing witness about Jesus, evangelism. So part of abiding, part of getting life from the vine is that that life will overflow into the fruit of your life and the fruit of that life will be you're telling others about the vine. When they see that fruit, they say, wow, that's some good fruit. Say, oh, shucks, that old thing. No, that's your opportunity to bear witness to the power of the gospel, to the vine, to the true vine, to Jesus. There's also the other normal means of grace. These aren't silver bullets. Notice when he says, abide in me, abide in the vine, I am the true vine. We like, uh, we like experience kind of mountaintop high Christianity, right? I want to come here, I want to feel good and walk out and be different. But actually, abiding in the vine, uh, uh, something that's abiding, day to day, week to week, you almost can't tell any difference. Sometimes. It looks so slow if you're just watching it. And bear fruit. Maybe today. But what happens is it is growing. Sometimes it's imperceptible. Sometimes it is very visible. But what starts to happen is one day you come outside and you see, whoa, there's, there's buds on that vine. That looks like a lily koi. Mm, I love lily koi. And all of a sudden fruit comes. These normal means of grace are kind of like that. They're not going to give you that instant high, spiritual high, many times. Sometimes it will. That's not their function. What are the normal means of grace? The Word of God, prayer, fasting, giving, fellowship with the body, with the church, evangelism, partaking of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, serving one another in acts of humble love, taking time to just be with the Lord in silence and solitude. All of these are normal means of grace that Christians throughout all time, the ones that you read the books of and you're like, I wish I could be like them. They've all practiced these things regularly all the time and they have just remained in Christ. And you know what happens? They bear fruit. You know what happens in your life if you do that? You'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. Point four, the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. This will be quick. Verse 17. These things, sorry, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What is he really talking about in this abiding language, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me? We call this, Paul will flesh this out later in his epistles, we call this 
uh, in the theological world, your union with Christ. By faith, when you trust in Jesus, you are united with him inseparably. This is the mystery of your union with Christ such that everything that is his becomes yours. And all your sin that was there came on him, was imputed to him so that at the cross he bore your penalty and in his resurrection you get his blessing, his reward for his obedience. This all flows out of your union with Christ. This doctrine will change. It's just, it's massive. It's huge. Paul unfolds it. He talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in him we have this, in him we have this. And what, what Jesus is here talking about is, is the, the nature of our union with Christ and what you could call our communion with God. Your union with Christ is on the basis of grace through faith. It's not of your works, and it's certain. It is a covenant. It is a new covenant. It's there. You have a relationship with him by grace through faith. Your communion, union, communion with God, the nearness you feel to him and with him, is in some part contingent on your obedience to him. doesn't affect your union if you disobey. Primarily, it affects your communion with him. Let me give you an example and we'll close. This is one you all know. Your marriage, for those who are married, or those who will get married. Your marriage covenant. What happens when you stand there and you say, I do? Jesus says the two become one flesh. One, you are united. You are one. So I am in union with my wife. And you are in union with your spouse. That's objective. That's signed on a certificate. It's there. Nothing will change that. But yet we can go through seasons of marriage, can't we? Seasons where my communion can feel cold, distant, be hard, very hard. But you can also have seasons where it's just, it's like we just got married yesterday. It's like there's just, ooh, you're in the honeymoon, right? That's the, the reality of your union with your wife. Yet the communion is contingent on all these types of things. Am I, am I loving her? Am I pouring into her? Am I doing the dishes? Am I, am I changing baby's diapers? Am I helping? Right? And vice versa. Union and communion. Union and communion. This is what he's talking about when he says, abide, abide in me, abide in me. And he says, and we close, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Kahalui Baptist Church, abide in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these precious words, Lord. May we Truly take to heart your command, your invitation to abide in him, abide in Christ, abide in your love, and keep your commandments. And when we do these things, may our joy be ever full, overflowing, such that others would see this joy and want to walk in Christ as well. In Jesus' name, amen.